You know what? I'll, I'll just prompt you guys just to get going. Yeah. I am so annoyed. Ha! That's always a good prompt. You know who's really pissing me off? Those two senators, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, <laughs> or whatever her name is. She, okay, this is not about like women, <laughs> it's not about women wearing anything. If Wait, anyone, what? <laughs> no, no, if, if anyone wears a denim jacket, I don't care if they're a woman or a man. No one should be allowed to wear a denim jacket. She's a philosopher, though. Didn't we see this, Shadi, that, that she's read uh, uh, René Girard and other highfalutin oh, yeah. oh, French wow. people? So, and she's, uh, she's, uh, yeah, she's one of us. Wait, is she an academic by training? Like, what's her background? I have ac- Actually, I have no idea. But okay, uh, wow. I think she has a PhD or something, doesn't she? <laughs> oh, yeah, she or did write a PhD, but... Yeah, I forget what it's about, but it, I think Schmidt is actually mentioned. Yeah, in Carl it, Schmidt and, and Rene Girard. Yeah. Right? Wow. Okay, I like her better now. Yeah, see, yeah. just ease off on the denim jacket. I mean, I feel like when you're a philosopher, you can get away with anything. I, I don't like these people, though, who just, like, enjoy pissing everyone off, and that becomes their identity. Both Mansion and Cinema seem to be just so self like. They love being in this position of just being gadflies and and being annoying. Yeah, that's not fair, right? I mean, like at least for Mansion, and I imagine Arizona, they've got like an electorate to contend with. No, you don't yeah, think they're they representing you, something. You don't have to be like super annoying about it. Ah, I guess you, I'm not following closely enough to realize that they're being gratuitously annoying. Matt, are they? Shoddy, when I left, you were a very heterodox thinker. Now you just sound like every other partisan Democrat I follow on Twitter. <laughs> I, I thought this—I thought you started off this as like as a trolling bit, but you seem serious. Okay, well, I was partly trolling, but no, I am actually pissed off. Like, I mean, because I do want Biden's package to pass. Biden's because... package. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean his spending package. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> No, like on that, look, because you might recall, Matt, that um, on economic inequality issues, I do tend to be like a little bit more of a standard left of center person. So that kind of thing does occasionally animate me, although it has generally dissipated. I mean, uh, I don't talk about Bernie as much as I used to, and I've sort of moved away from that a little bit. But that's still a part of me. And um, anyway, we should we should say who the third person is. The third is, person. Because you might be noticing there's a third person who we haven't introduced. And you may even recognize his voice. Yeah, for those of you longtime listeners and fans of Wisdom of Crowds, um, we're very happy to have him back. Matt Winesett, um, his claim to fame, as it were, was that he was Wisdom of Crowds' former associate editor. He was number three in the team of three. Um and uh, he unfortunately left us to go to law school and to aspire to greater things. Um, but this is sort of, um, we don't want to say a goodbye episode, but um, at least for the time being, like we, we wanted to have like a proper send off where we can talk to Matt and just hang out with him and get his ideas on um, a number of things, including the Virginia, uh, Virginia governor race, because he's a Virginia native. So he has some special insights, which he'll share with us shortly. Um, and um, maybe also, Demir, we can include in our show notes some of his greatest hits for us. Yeah, of course. Of course, we'll do that. Um, I, I mean, just though, back to you, Shadi, before we get mad on this, is is um, 
again, just elucidate for me. You think they're just being performative or that they're actually representing some constituency on this? I mean, okay, m- your my, preferences mm. on, on, on spending aside, I mean, this is a, an important bill. Even I, it's yeah. politically important, but it's, it's a, like a stupendously expensive bill. So not surprising that things like this are happening, right? Yeah, but to go from 3.5 billion to 1.5 trillion, uh, trillion yeah, 3.5 to 1.5, that is a tremendous decrease. And you know me, like I'm not a fan of splitting the middle. If you're going to do something, do it right. Go all out. Once once you do this half half in between thing, you end up actually pleasing no one. Um, Republicans and conservatives will never be pleased with a spending bill of this heft anyway. But then, if you go down to 1.5 trillion, then progressives and much of the Democratic base won't be happy either. So, just unclear to me how this really. I mean, we know what happened before when Democrats attempted a split the middle approach on universal health care and Obamacare became this thing that no one was entirely happy with. And a lot of people found really annoying because it didn't appeal to either either constituency on the left or the right. So if we're doing this like so Biden won, he's our democratically elected president. This is his vision. He should be able to push it through if he has a majority of people, um, a majority of Democrats in the Senate. That's what democracy is about. Whoa, I, whoa come on. I, <laughs> come on, though. Like, it, it, democracy is also about uh, representation and, and constituencies. And we don't, in fact, have, you know, uh, a very unitary state. You have, you have, in fact, senators that represent constituencies. And so what we have are these, these parties that actually aren't parties in the traditional sense. They're, they're coalitions. And, you know, very, we very broadly talk about the fact that the Democrats control uh, Congress by very slim majorities right now, but those slim majorities are are even that overstates it in some ways because of the reality of someone like Joe Manchin allowing us to even say something like Democrats control. Uh, yeah, you know. So uh, I I mean you know to your you know deeply held beliefs about living with deep difference and how and how uh, these things. Uh, manifest themselves in in a democratic process, right? Surely you have some sympathy by, about the fact that that West Virginia is hardly the core democratic state, and given that the core democratic electorate does not represent the majority of this country, well, you're not going to get the kind of you know imperial visions of this is what the country needs right now. I'm going to force it through. You just can't. Right. On that two things I'll say. One is that politics is inelastic in the sense that whatever whatever politicians do doesn't have that much effect on how people perceive them because ordinary citizens don't follow the details of policy. So this idea that if you go down from two billion to one point five, sorry, <laughs> trillion is just a very large number, and I have trouble like conceptualizing uh-huh. Precisely. it precisely. But, yeah, but if you <laughs> but if you go from two trillion to one point five trillion, it's not as if that's going to gain. Joe Manchin, people who we lost, or it's not as if if he stayed with two trillion or two point five, that would be the deal breaker. That up until now, some voter in West Virginia was willing to go along with supporting Joe Manchin, but right when Joe Manchin clears the two point two point five trillion mark, that's when he loses them. That's not the way ideological politics works, and we live in an ideologically polarized country. People don't, and I, you've, I've always said this on the podcast that. Um, policy details don't actually matter for most people. I don't even vote on policy, as I've said before. The other thing that I would say 
is um, I'm non-confrontational. So if I'm part of a party where there's 50, there's 50 people in the Senate and I'm and I'm one of the 50, if 48 of my fellow Democrats are telling me, Shadi, just OK, we know that you're not totally on board with this, but you're part of a group. Just go along with this one thing. We'll give you something else later on. Just stop being a pain in the butt all the time. I'm non-confrontational. So if my Democratic colleagues are confronting me day in and day out, telling me, Shadi, you are really pissing us off, you know what I would do? I'd say, okay, fine. I don't want to keep on getting in a confrontational situation because I don't like face-to-face confrontation. I'm fine sometimes with writing, Twitter, and when I'm speaking and, you know, and I'm not like directly with someone, but if like I'm in a room and my fellow Democrats in the caucus are are like 10 other people are just bearing down on me, I'm in, I'm, I'm in a fold because I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. Yeah, you're not not the makings of a politician, I guess, is really what it comes down to. Right. <laughs> but Shadi, do you, Go ahead, Matt. Do you not do you not think that Manchin might just have, you know, good faith, heartfelt objections to the bill? And it's not about worrying about his next election, because I think you're right that, you know, no West Virginia voter is going to say I was with you when it was two trillion, but not three trillion. I mean, it's possible with inflation and whatever else is going on. He just doesn't think adding another three and a half trillion dollars to the fire is going to have a positive impact. Right. That's part of it. The other part I just add, I guess, just to reiterate again, there's this idea when we talk Democrats, what the fuck is a is a West Virginia Democrat is someone who, you know, is not going to vote for a green agenda, for example. That's just clear. And so I, you know, I, I imagine Joe Manchin uh, himself, you know, not is not just uh, holding the line for a dying industry that represents I don't know what percentage of his state, but uh, also feels kind of strongly about this, you know. Okay, maybe this is where Matt can help help me out a little bit. So, yeah, maybe he actually believes what he believes. But then my question would be, what actual belief system leads someone to say 1.5 trillion I'll go along with, but two like it seems arbitrary. And this is this was the debate too about um the stimulus in in the in the early Obama years when, you know, Larry Summers would say, well, let's not do 1.5 trillion and we need to have it below 1 trillion. It's almost as if there's certain there's certain like markers in terms of numbers where people just choose for for impenetrable reasons where they'll say, oh, that's too much for me. That seems too large a number. But what is the actual set? Because what we do in Wisdom of Crowds is we try to understand first principles. What is the first principle that is driving Joe Manchin in this regard? I'm not clear on that. And maybe other people can speak to his his inner thinking on this. But I personally find it confusing. I'm also someone who believes. Well, one thing, too, that we've learned in recent years that Republican, Democrat, no one cares about the debt. No one cares about deficit spending as long as they're the ones in power. So this tells us something about the fluidity of ideological commitments, the fact that Republicans once really cared about keeping a tight budget. But when Trump is in power and Trump wants something, they go along with extreme levels of deficit spending. But maybe, but, but Matt, on the Republican mindset, maybe tell us a little bit more about how Republicans or people in general see the debt, because that's always something that I've had trouble identifying with, because like, who really cares about the debt? Like maybe some, you know, some really committed people make this a big issue. 
but um, it's hard to really see this as a tangible thing that people really get worked up about. Yeah, they're not I mean, esoteric. A couple people that write for National Review, I guess, who probably care a lot about it, and I think, and I think they're honest, and I don't think they're just yeah. uh, being what's the word opportunistic when they when they care about it. They cared about it during Trump and Bush as well, at least maybe like three people. Uh, I don't know, like the average guy. I feel like the average person. Like I think if I talk to my dad about it, my dad doesn't follow policy arguments closely i think most people have the idea of like the government is like a family unit and just like a family unit shouldn't spend outside their means neither should the government and that's about all the thought they give it but and, they they, they yeah. granted trump you know carte blanche i mean that's a fair point on shoddies right right i mean i don't i don't but again i don't think they're really following it super right. closely or they buy into the supply side argument that will cut to grow and it'll be fine the only, the only thing i'd say to you shoddy though is like it's it, you know, I think the the headline story has been Manchin upset about the 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 size of the spending, but they're actually negotiating uh, very specific things. I don't know if you you caught today um, the the breaking story was uh, that the proposed um, gosh I didn't write it down the, but the tax on billionaires and it was going to be about unrecognized income and it was going to have problems in the Supreme Court because the way they were structuring it wasn't exactly clear. I remember reading something by Tyler Cowen. I think it was Tyler Cowen was just making the case that it really is kind of you know conceptually a really weird thing to to tax unrealized income um, and how you do that. I mean, there's all sorts of ways about it. But Manchin said no on that. Now you can say, why is he doing this uh, on on you know for a, a very poor state? Perhaps his voters, you know, wouldn't even notice something like that. He said it's a divisive issue. I'm just bringing that up. Uh, and yeah, sure, Manchin might be bought by billionaire interests. Very likely, lots of lobbying money came from from the 700 or so like ultra ultra rich people. I saw that figure in the article as well. That there's like 700 people in the whole country that would be affected by this and would pay through the nose. Um, but he said it's a divisive issue, and I'm not doing it. So I point to that not so much as a question uh, about you know what about that. Just the, this question that it's not just the the full um, spectrum of the spend that's doing this. It's individual things. And I just add one other thing about this. It's, you know, like any spending bill in, in any kind of coalitional politics, which is what we practice in this country, this is a, a free for all. Like, I mean, you look at some of these things, it's, it's, you know, everyone's written something in for themselves and, and all the rest of this. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think we who are not in the legislative process, who, I personally don't follow this stuff very closely. We just like latch on to the the narratives being hatched out there. But so much of this is uh is this question of priorities and and uh you know who's bought and what the blocking things are and things like that. I mean to your point Shadi, I think um maybe there is something to the fact that Republicans oh we lost Shadi. Oh no. Oh no. He couldn't take your facts and logic. <laughs> you owned him. Hold on a sec. Let me text him. Oh, there he is. Hey, sorry, guys. Yeah, you okay? <laughs> well, no, I'm back. Uh, Have I, you had enough Republican talking point, Shadi? <laughs> no, so so I mean, I'll, I'll grant you one thing, Shadi. I, I I stopped talking. I saw you drop immediately. Um, I I I think you do have a point about perhaps party discipline to a certain extent that you don't have uh, these call them principled holdouts uh, among Republicans when someone like Trump comes in or. Quite frankly, even someone like Bush and, you know, just is 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 proposing to spend a lot more money. Um, but a 
I think uh, it is really easy to to close ranks when you're in opposition. So Republicans are, in my mind, and Matt, you can talk about this some more. But like in my mind, Republicans, it's it's a they don't they're not really proposing any kind of 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 uh, alternative at this point. They're just a party of no. So that's pretty easy to get consensus around. It's like no. And then you just like yeah. you whip some people around that and like no hold the line you pass it with your own team knowing full well that they have that the democratic coalition actually on the fringes is quite weak and the and that the the country is quite polarized so that's smart politics on republicans part well I think Demir you've put your finger on something important um you said that one of the reasons that Manchin has cited for his concern is divisiveness right to not do something because it's divisive seems odd to me. Because, first of all, what isn't divisive in this country? Anything worth doing, any kind of bold policy initiative is going to be perceived as divisive because we are a divided country. Um, but that's not a good enough reason to not do something because that's, that's not about the merits of the policy, the merits of the idea. It's about how it's perceived by others. That's, I think, what I find a little bit annoying about this sort of, oh, we want to do something bipartisan. We don't want to offend people. We don't want to be divisive. That doesn't actually tell us anything about the inherent merits of what you're proposing or opposing. I think it just tells us that 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 West Virginia is still a lar- by and large a red state that by, you know, sort of a weird historical accident is voting Democrat. Uh, and I don't know enough about Arizona to to say, but I just imagine it's a similar sort of situation over there. So you're seeing you're seeing that dynamic play out. Not not that that Mansion uh, and Cinema are are grandstanding necessarily. They might be. They might be enjoying their time. I mean, it's nice to be. You know, you get your five minutes, and you're 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 everyone's just like chasing after you, getting your opinion and stuff like that. But basically, these are these are are are, are states that that that. When we say the Democrats have won, well, they haven't. I mean, and this is what we're seeing right now is that they they can't they can't cobble together the coalition. And if you look at parties again, American parties, not as disciplined things with a top down agenda that gets passed that, you know, you have like party leadership that then it forces us down. It pushes that that other American reality is that these things are are loose coalitions of, of interest groups that are cobbled together every time for the purpose of getting some stuff done. Now, this will get someone like Ezra Klein to say that, well, you know, this is why we need to rewrite the Constitution. Uh, we need to go to a parliamentary system. I don't know if Ezra said that, but whatever. But like, you know, that... that um, <laughs> people like Ezra Demir, Klein. You, yeah. <laughs> I said like. Uh, but Ezra is the stand-in for sta- all Stand-in for all there. people that, 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 yeah. that have those sorts of beliefs. And, you know, I mean... There is there there is something uh, to that line of argument, apart from the fact that it's silly. Uh, you know, there's something to it. If you, if you had a different political system, you might have different political outcomes because the system determines the outcomes in many ways. But I, I'm just saying, like, when you, you get something like this, you have like Biden and his team on the one hand reasoning that this is the moment they've got to go big because if they don't go big, you know, they, they've convinced themselves that Trump won because of like – white people grievance, poor people, po-white grievance, basically. So just got to like open the spigots and just like rain money on the country, which will prevent a resurgence of Trumpism. Basically, that's part of the logic on the one hand. Then on the other hand, the logic of, of, of spending bills comes together and you get like massive interest group politics and like the entire Democratic machine lines up and everyone's getting a carve out. Some of it's silly. It's always silly. It's not like Republican carve outs are, are less silly or something like that, but, but it's partisan and silly in a lot of ways. And then you get these states that are 
marginal for the coalition. And they get to then basically dig their heels in on certain things that it just won't pass, you know? Now, what I don't know, I assume, and this is maybe where you and I disagree, Shadi, on this, is mm. like, I assume that 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 Manchin and Sinema can be bought like any like any politician. And in, indeed, the fact that Manchin did this billionaire tax and, and justified in that way or, or, or blocked it uh, suggests that, you know, he is he's susceptible to influence, if you will. Um, so there's a price. And I mean, this is what negotiations is. This is, you know, how the sausage is made or whatever the, the metaphor is. But but, um, you know, looking at the news today, they're 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 huddling with cinema. And uh, if that's how she's pronounced and, and, and mansion. Um, I think it's pronounced like a movie theater. Cinema. Cinema. Yeah. Kirsten Cinema. That's a great name. That's like a Avengers name or something. I wonder where she's from originally, what her ethnic background is. I mean, she's a white person, but I wonder where her family's from. What are you? Ask her that. <laughs> white people should be asked that more often. Yeah, I like that. I did where it. are I you from originally? Matt, where are you from originally? Uh, Irish, England, Germany. I, uh, I, so someone actually did ask me that my one of my first weekends here. He's like, Matt, I know this is a weird question, but where are you from? What are like, you? Uh, yeah, what are you? And... <laughs> I don't know. I I kind of enjoyed it. I I enjoyed talking about my what little I know about my heritage. See, uh, white people love this, Shadi. Yeah, like, well, and I think I think because it makes people, them feel special. Yeah, I mean, I I also think most people kind of like it. Like, if you go to a, I don't know, you're not like I I, I feel like I can't ask it though. So I'm just I'm never going to bring it up, even though if I talked to someone, I actually no, I did. I ran into someone from Slovakia, and I said, "Where are you from?" And she said, "Slovakia," and she was very <laughs> pleased to talk about Slovakia. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a little bit you gotta kind of tread carefully. But she had an accent, right? Up. Yeah, that's the only reason I was like, okay, this is obviously an Eastern European accent. I wonder, and I was curious about it. And she was like impressed that any American even know where or what Slovakia was. So, so even before you know the woke storm broke over our shores, um, <laughs> I had a I had a I had a, a friend I'm actually out of touch with at this point, but he came to visit DC and. You know, this was before Tinder and all that sort of stuff. So you'd go to bars and you'd meet people and, and talk to people that way. And he he got ripped drunk at some point and, and really went up to some girl and said, what are you? <laughs> As you imagine, that didn't go over well, even before the woke storm broke. Because <laughs> that can be interpreted in a number of different ways now. Yeah. And even then, I'll just add. <laughs> Well, Matt, but, um, well, maybe tell us, so just so people can locate you, can you tell us exactly where you are right now? I am in my apartment in Harlem, New York. Harlem, interesting. I didn't know that you were in Harlem. I am. It's a little bit cheaper. It's still a 10-minute walk from, from school, so it's not that bad. There was a shooting uh, last night or two nights ago on my way home, so thankfully I didn't, I didn't witness that. Is crime getting worse? It, I, I've never noticed it or felt like it. There's a park between me and the campus that I walked through that I've been told is dangerous at night. Uh, but one time I was walking through it, like maybe at 10 p.m. and I'm turning a corner and some other guy, like older guy, walks by me and we both kind of jump and he's like, you scared the shit out of me. And I was like, you, you scared the shit out of me. So I think everybody is like, I don't know. I wasn't worried about getting mugged in the park or anything. Uh, but you're it, an age. There's, yeah, there's some app called citizen that we have oh yeah oh yeah yeah i just i i never heard of it and then i downloaded it when there was a shooting like a couple weeks ago that my friend warned me about and i had it for like a day and i just got you get so many notifications that make you think you're in some sort of war turn war war torn (laughs) country 
But once I deleted it, I've, I've never felt unsafe. You know, I, I think Citizen is uh, – it's a detour from what we're talking about. But, but I think Citizen is exactly the kind of – is a, almost like a perfect example of how like internet technology and all these like apps in many ways – create a dystopia for us because exactly that you're, you're getting push notifications, anything when any, whenever anything happens um, in DC, there are not that many users. So you'd get weird stuff like car flipped over on such and such a, you know, intersection, whatever. But, but yeah. like in Baltimore, my God, like I went to visit Baltimore and, you know, changed my location. And it was, it was just like, it was like, you know, it, it, it literally erodes, uh, social trust before your eyes you can feel it in yourself you're like oh my god like i'm gonna get killed any second now basically <laughs> it's really wild yeah and I, yeah i was just thinking right now i want to i was gonna make a joke about like you being a gentrifier but i actually thought to myself <laughs> i'm not sure what is acceptable to say about that anymore because gentrifying is like at the it's at the focal point of all these controversial issues including of course um race and it's also like i think it's sad that even someone like me who's pretty unfiltered and doesn't really care about saying controversial things, even I will sometimes like take a little bit of a pause and be like, is this something that I can say publicly? Matt, is, well, you're white blight. That's what you are. <laughs> I mean, so when I when I was touring in the apartment, the uh, a, a lesbian couple lived here before I moved in. And I asked one of them, like, do you ever feel unsafe in this neighborhood? And she said, no, we look around. There's a Whole Foods and a Starbucks. This is like the leading edge of gentrification here. Uh, And she she said it. Maybe she said maybe that was her, you know, progressive guilt talking or something. I I I don't really care. I want to live in a place that's affordable and safe. And if that makes me a gentrifier, I don't I I don't know if I can qualify as a gentrifier, though, when I'm your student taking out. Tons of money and loans. I, I don't think I'm the classic gentrifier. Yeah, yeah. Saying that you want to live in a place that doesn't have crime That's is racist. perceived by some as racist now. That's like a racist statement. Yeah, come well, on. But I, I, talking to classmates in D.C. before, like the few of us that lived there before I moved to New York, I was talking to some about living off campus. And I, one of them said, I, I said I was looking at Harlem because it's a little bit cheaper. And she said, oh, I don't want to move there because I don't want to contribute to gentrification. (laughs) You you would rather pay more money or I don't know. I'll I'll try and dig it out for the show notes. There was an article in the Post a while ago, and I probably couldn't wouldn't get published today. But it was um, it was talking about 14th Street here in D.C. and uh, the changes that have come over here. And I, I, you know, went to college in the 90s in Baltimore and would come to D.C. And I remember what 14th Street was like. But, you know, from from uh, Martin Luther King's shooting up until basically Obama uh, and the the changes that came over D.C., uh, you know, the prosperity that's that's washed over D.C., uh, 14th Street was really dangerous. And, you know, so they 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 on the one hand, interviewed activists about the injustices of gentrification, but then they went and, and talked to, to you know, basically black people who have lived in that neighborhood forever and are still living there. And they're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. do, like do you understand what 14th Street was? You know, like I, I like there were there were like outdoor prostitution, violence, shootings all the time, which also made me think, you know, there was um there was a shooting on 14th Street uh I don't know, Matt, you you were gone already at that point, but I was, you know, right outside Le Diplomat, which is this like really overpriced French restaurant, like right across the street from it. And it was like broad daylight. Yeah. Shooting. There, wasn't there like a Mexican restaurant that got shot up? That's it. That's Mexico it. as well. Mexico. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and I remember, you know, people, uh, friends talking about it. And uh, I think someone was even inside the restaurant or an acquaintance was or something like that. 
and they were talking about it. And I'm I'm just sort of sitting there listening and and you know not 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 going to comment on it. But 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 really the thought came to mind is like I remember you know going to to see punk rock shows with the Black Hat, parking the car, and basically like scurrying to the Black Hat because the whole block was 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 really dangerous. Cars get blo- broken in all the time. Muggings, you know, like especially dumb drunk like white punk rockers like stumbling around 14th Street just like marks basically for for yeah. for anything like that. And and you know certainly not to make light of of a shooting on 14th street but literally in my living memory if someone had been like can you imagine a shooting on 14th street it's like okay yeah and tell me more yeah. like wh- which how many like that happened last night which one was this the second or the third one you know basically um so you know so much for gentrification on my end yeah well on, on that note i mean another question i had for you matt um since so you're in law school now and this is part of the new stage of your life and we yes. support you fully in this endeavor. Um, <laughs> but I'm wondering, like, would you ever want to run for office? Cause I feel like you have a very astute political sense, but I feel like you're also in a tough spot. Cause I guess you still consider yourself to be a Republican or at least right of center in a way that is Republican leaning. And I wonder if you think that you could actually win in a district or statewide election considering that, you know, you're a pretty reasonable person. You do you do care about empirical reality. Unfortunately, parts of the Republican Party have moved away from that. I mean, how, how do you see that going forward? Yeah, I would definitely consider myself still right of center. I don't really feel super tied to the Republican Party in, in any in any way. I think, I'm, I mean, I haven't changed my registration yet. I'll probably officially be a Democrat soon when I register New York just because I want my vote to matter. So oh, really? So as, you'd as be comfortable like changing your partisan identity? Because you know what they say now? Partisan identity is basically like a religion in America. So you that's like converting from Islam to Christianity or vice I, versa. Yeah, I have enough pride in my residual Catholic identity that I can shed my partisan identity uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty easily, I think. I think a lot of Republicans are registered Democrats in D.C. for that reason. Why would you why would you basically oh, really? not? I didn't get know to, that was a thing. OK. Yeah. I mean, why would you get to not vote uh, in in local elections, which is the only reason to to register one way or the other? You can, you know, vote for for Adolf Hitler in the in the in the presidential if you want to. But, like, <laughs> you know, the, the real election in D.C. is the primaries for uh, on the Democratic side. Who cares about the general? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know the D.C. laws, but New York is a tightly closed primary. So, I mean, I wasn't up here in time to vote for the mayor primary, but like I in that case, I would have preferred to vote in that to, you know, support Eric Adams or whoever over the more left wing candidates. Right. So that, that, yeah, Eric Adams, as a, anti-crime, as a yeah. pro-police. Yeah. 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 Pro. I mean, and the uh, he's shutting down. De Blasio wanted to close their gifted and talented schools. And Eric Adams said, no, we're not going to do that because that's idiotic. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really good. I didn't actually that. know about that because that, I saw de Blasio wanted to do that. And I'm like, this is bonkers. Yeah. But I'm glad to hear that Eric Adams is is trying to reverse that. Yeah. But, but you yeah. know, Matt, to your point about like, you know, your 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 Republican affiliation, your your feelings about the party and the rest of that. I mean, the thing that's so striking to me. I think we brought this up last time we talked about it uh, in passing, but but I think it's only become more pronounced. On the one hand, as I was saying earlier, right, it's it's you know it's it's easy to be the party of no when you're in opposition. You just like close ranks and you're just like no, uh, and make the other party work, right? Um, mm-hmm. But but I'm just really struck by by just like uh, the 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 hole, like the vacuum at the heart of the opposition at this point. They they really are for nothing. 
And, you know, that's it's the luxury of being in opposition, again, that allows you to do that and actually to be perhaps successful of it and to, like, you know, kick off the reckoning around that. But I'm struck even by the, you know, the constructive forces on the center right at this point. The whole argument, and again, completely understandably, is... uh is about Trump and Trump's lingering appeal in the party and how he seems to have a stranglehold ideologically over the party. But there's not a lot of effort being made to uh to 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 work on on I think a positive vision for a lot of this sort of stuff. I, I think it was someone in the in the, in the journal was it, was it Jerry Sabe or Sabe is that how you say his name S E I B Sabe mm. uh, he wrote a piece yeah. saying something along the lines of of you know the the big loser in any election, and this is perhaps important for the midterms as well, um, is that you 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 have to be forward leaning, and what Trump has shown is the the hard limits of having this kind of you know, uh, completely uh, facing to the past uh, negative kind of, of of vision. There's no there's no vision for the party. Maybe this lets us talk about the Virginia election because I, I mean I guess there we're seeing you know what what like a a uh, what Republicans could possibly do in the in the Youngkin uh, McAuliffe fight. Uh, but I don't know. Like before, we even get into Virginia. How, how do you? What do you? What do you think about that? Is there? Is there anything? Is there? Are there glimmers of a positive agenda that are coming out, or can one even be conceived of at this point? Yeah, I mean, I know, like in the early Obama years, there's the whole reform conservative movement that put out some forward leaning policy ideas that I don't think ever really went anywhere. I think part of it might just be the American conservatism versus like British conservatism, where the American conservatism conservatives care a lot more about limited government and small government. And when that's your overriding principle, it's tough to come out with affirmative policy ideas when your lodestar is just saying the government's doing too much. Whereas I, I imagine the British Tories, like they're able to campaign on leveling up the, you know, the deindustrialized North of England. That's a lot more, that's a much more positive agenda than I think American conservatives can do. So like, I, I prefer them all to get behind Romney's child child allowance plan or something like that, but I just don't think you're ever going to get the old guard to coalesce around a positive like government sent like the government can actually do stuff to your vision. Yeah, yeah. But what about Trump? I mean, because Trump actually was more comfortable with big government. He he's mm-hmm. not an orthodox um, conservative or Republican in that regard, and you know he does have these economically populist instincts, and he has toyed with some things that would otherwise be anathema to the Republican Party when it comes to taxing. I mean, Steve Bannon, when he supported um, a significantly higher tax, marginal tax rate and things like that. So the Bannon-Trump uh, wing, uh, oversimplification, but there are some folks in the Republican Party who do actually see government, at least in theory, yeah. well, I mean, doing more on some of these things. Yeah, That was the great hope of the administration, but they came in and the first thing they moved on was the Obamacare appeal, which, you know, McCain tanked uh, for good reason, probably. So like maybe it's just the deep state of the Republican Party, if you want to call it that, their priorities are still going to be shaped like what, what whatever Grover Norquist used to say, making government so so small you could drown it in a bathtub. 
And I don't know what. Oh, that's an actual we, quote from Norquist. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. No, that's a famous. I believe one. that's a Norquist thing. No, yeah. that's that's correct. I like that. Yeah, well, I don't famous. like it. I disagree. I mean, it's catchy though. I just yeah. to clarify to and, people. And yeah. It's so catchy, Shadi. You could be convinced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's now well, pro Matt, mansion. <laughs> well, Matt. I mean, if if Trump really decided to go full on economic populist, and he got people like Josh Hawley and other Republican senators who incline in this direction to be on the same side, basically. Do you, I mean, could the old guard of the Republican Party really resist that, considering that Trump still has a stranglehold on the party? Yeah, I think if he came in in 2017 or comes in in 2025, I guess, whenever the next January 2025. Yeah, I mean, he has such a presence. And I don't know if magnetic is the right adjective to use. But like, yeah, I think he's such a force of nature. He can shift the party. But I don't think if someone else came in, like, I don't think if Hawley won, for example, he could impose his will on the rest of the party in the way that Trump could. Would you be comfortable supporting Trump if he man if no. he like had a transformation and was like, okay, January sixth, you know, the election was stolen. <laughs> it was stolen. I I don't like it, but we can make things right and we're going full, you know, Ross Douthat, Secretary of Education. Uh <laughs> How do you feel? I mean, this is silly. Yeah, I mean, it's silly, as, obviously, but but just I mean, as a thought experiment, like as as much as I would love Ross as philosopher king, I uh, <laughs> I just don't think. I mean, I think PJ O'Rourke used to say that, like, yeah, like Clinton's wrong about everything, but she's at least wrong within the reasonable parameters. Trump does not even get within those parameters. There's yeah. just a basic level of bar you have to clear for me to ever feel comfortable voting for you, and he just, I I don't think he could ever clear that bar. So, what do you think of Youngkin? In Virginia, so so our our listeners let's know. get some context though. Who Yunkin? Yeah, is. he's in Virginia. He's running in the in the. What is it? It's the off season election. They're not, you know, it's the governor's yeah, election so for Virginia. It's in it's in like a week or two. Virginia governor's race, and I don't know. Yeah, like I don't. I haven't really delved super deeply into Yunkin's whole platform, but it seems like you cannot. He's like the test tube case of a Republican designed at the lab to not offend people. Granted, he was like a. I, I'm sure he's a private equity millionaire, or close to billionaire, but. He's just basically as inoffensive as it seems like you can get. Um, and yet this is when the, you know, the residual Republican tribalism will come back out. I think Biden or McAuliffe or something said yesterday, comparing him to the January 6th attackers, where he's like, you know, sometimes hate comes in an insurrection. Sometimes hate comes in a fleece vest, which is, you know, can wear a fleece vest everywhere. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know. This is, I mean, this is, you're going to hear Republicans bitch about this all the time. Biden's 2012 comment about Romney wanting to put, black Americans back in chains. Like it's the constant fear mongering that if, if every Republican is equally evil, then it kind of takes away from the actual super like bad things that happened in the past. And I don't know. I, I just think comparing Youngkin to the, the, the capital rioters is just idiotic. So Ben, what you're saying is fascinating because as someone who hasn't followed this closely and I've mostly only seen like left-leaning people talk about Yunkin on Twitter. I assumed he was a Trumpist. I'm not even, yeah. this is not me trolling, I'm not joking. The way that he's been discussed over the past week, and that's only, that's the period he's been on my radar, I actually assumed that he was a pretty controversial character based on what I've seen other people say about him. So the fact that you're telling me now that he's actually, you know, mostly inoffensive, standard, like Northeastern or... I don't know, Republican, not like in the Trump mold of things. I'm actually surprised. And that does worry me that. So tell me a little bit more. So why? How do you explain? I mean, you sort of alluded to it right now that he's a Republican. So people will smear him regardless. 
But why is there so much vitriol towards him? There was also this ad that he did, I think, yesterday or the day before, where he talked about some school bill, and people are freaking out about that, too. So there's just been a lot of freaking out. Do you, so you don't think that's warranted at all? The, the school thing is odd, because I think the story with that is the mom in the ad wanted to, like, I think her kid read Beloved by Toni Morrison and, and was traumatized by it somehow. And so she wanted more say in not having the book assigned. I, I actually read Beloved last summer. I thought it was fine like um not 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 overly traumatic yeah i mean i didn't i was not traumatized by it. it's a little bit scary but the dude is like 17 and i don't i'm more embarrassed with this dude that his mom's out there saying my like large adult son can't handle reading beloved it just it seems idiotic but well, i don't know that's that kind of sidetrack things i think where i think youngkin's focus on not wanting sec- i mean i think the the youngkin campaign is been focused on saying, look, third graders should be learning how to do math and read, not sorting themselves based on how like dark their skin is and all the, the CRT stuff. Well, so, you know, I, I really want to delve into that because I think there's something really fascinating happening on the right um, around the whole sort of curricula stuff. Um, but just, I think, Shadi, to address your 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 direct point and question about what, what I understand, I've been following the Youngkin thing a little bit more because uh, I've been sort of on weekends, I just go driving in Virginia. I've noticed these Yunkin signs for a couple of months, well, a couple of weeks now, in any case, they're everywhere. Um, as soon as you get out of, you know, uh, like DC suburbs. Um, and I was just sort of like, I dug into it a little bit more to sort of get a sense and sort of started following a little bit on the side. I think the threat and why I think a lot of people uh, in the mainstream media uh, have been actually pillorying him is because he's doing something that what like Ron DeSantis will likely try and do as well, which is to um, uh, say that, you know, things like uh, overthrowing the government are wrong, uh, but will not come out full bore and say that, you know, January 6th was the worst thing. Now, even in Youngkin's defense, he has, you know, he's very clever in how he's like, you know, formulated that weaseled, some might say. But but if you're going to like get a quote unquote whatever you want normal Republican, you're not going to get someone like that who's going to say uh, straight up like across the board, basically f- pull a Liz Cheney, which is what what I think most people want of Republicans to do. So he's not doing that. He's denounced the violence um, and as made statements, but they're not enough. So now the question becomes is, you know, is this, is him doing that a threat to the Republic or is this just an easy opportunity for Democrats to just demagogue him as saying that he is, you know, a closet sympathizer for insurrection? I don't know. I don't know what's in his soul. And I I haven't been following it that closely. So Matt, maybe you can speak to that before we get back to the education stuff, because I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. I, it's ridiculous to expect every candidate to basically commit electoral suicide by say by calling january 6th the worst thing that ever happened like i think i mean some of them like the the ohio guys mandel and vance are running to basically in a contest to see who can be the most noxious and that's very different than what youngkin's doing which is saying i haven't followed the race super intently but like my understanding is youngkin has said yeah that was a terrible day and let's talk about my agenda like it's just because you don't want to dwell on how terrible january 6th was all the time doesn't mean that you endorse it but basically i mean like and if i was a democrat i'd be doing the same thing i'd be attacking him all the time for this that doesn't make that doesn't mean that this is like a the right honorable thing to do it's the partisan thing to do yeah yeah well so you know on the on the education stuff 
Um, what I've noticed, and especially this this uh, ad that you you referenced, Shadi, I think it like it, it it illustrates this bizarre thing that seems to be happening, and I think it points to the fact that that Republicans don't have really a core agenda on a lot of this stuff because it it, it starts off as a reaction to wokeism and this you know uh, whatever the freaking acronym is for you know this. Uh, uh, this race theory. CRT. And, and, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, Demir. Whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever that crap is. But it starts with that. And you'd think that that would lead you naturally to a certain kind of robust defense of liberalism, but it hasn't. And it's led Republicans into this kind of like counter uh, uh, small mindedness, which I, again has deep roots in the party, which goes back to, in in my mind to to basically all those fights over over um, creationism and teaching that in schools and 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 that kind of thing. So it's basically control over curricula. And I agree with you, Matt. Like, come on, like, just read the damn book. I read Beloved in high school, and it's like you know whatever. It's not that big of a deal. So it's fascinating to me that instead of um, again, it's opportunism clearly. Uh, that that's but it's 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 just it's hollowed out that debate to such a profound way that when I see these fights now erupting over education and curricula and things like that, I'm like, fuck all of you. Just go away. Just go away. You're you're all useless. I hate both of you so much because it's 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 uh it's just garbage. It's garbage argumentation about nothing like virtue signaling to like the most regressive parts of your base in a way on both sides equally. Okay. And- but, but on the anti CRT side of it though, there are legitimate concerns as we talked about in the, in a previous episode, nice woke. Yeah. Wait, what was it called? Nice white parents, I think is the name of our, the episode we did on that. Yeah. Nice woke parents. I think. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Nice, nice, nice white parents is the actual New York times podcast. Oh yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Nice woke parents. Yeah. We'll include a, a link to that for those of you who want to listen back. But like as we talked about that time, Demir, there are legitimate concerns about excessive wokeness in school curricula in some parts of the country, right? For sure, I agree. Uh, well, all I'm getting at is that that it's 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 I, I I'm I'm watching everything with a growing sense of despair as an opportunity for which I do think you know if a a signs of life on the right. Uh, if I was looking for that, I would say that they were taking a robust, call it strong liberal position on that question, uh, rather than uh, falling back into into competitive grievance, which is what's actually happening, which is uh, my son was traumatized and therefore I want control over the curricula in my school. Now, again, as a soundbite, um, this is signaling uh, the the, you know, anti-CRT stuff to a certain extent, like you're not going to get this stuff into me. But it's also at the same time signaling, I think, to that kind of regressive part of the base, um, you know, uh, you're not going to, we're not going to let libs teach uh, our kids stuff, dog whistle, dog whistle, you know, remember creationism and all the crap about that, you know? And maybe I'm reading too much into it. And again, we're talking about politics. So as you said, Matt, like if I was a Democrat, I'd be pillorying Yunkin for January 6th because that's the the weapon at hand. It's just dispiriting to a certain extent um, that, you know, I would I would hope that 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 um, the right were holding the line better on the education thing in a way that was 
that signaled at least something of a principle there, which I think would be devastating to Democrats because Democrats can't back down off of this. Instead, going into this competitive grievance garbage, it's like, ah, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I yeah. don't know. What do you think, the, Matt? The, the, I agree with most of that. The, the beloved thing is, I think, I'd, I mean, I don't know how this will shake out electorally because I don't know how many people actually know who Tony Morrison is or pay attention to this. It's it feels like an unforced error to me because Toni Morrison is one of America's great authors and someone that people should be reading in school. I I feel like it would have been smarter to leave that out, but still harp on the a lot of the CRT stuff because it yeah it feels like it should not be controversial to say although it probably is that school should still just teach the three R's reading writing arithmetic and not and not sort people all the time based on skin color and things like that. Um, of course, like I see. I can see why you see like the uh, Texas textbooks get leaked every now and then, and they basically still call the civil war, the war of Northern aggression. That stuff obviously is terrible. It needs to, needs to be, needs to be corrected. But like the, I don't know the, over, the I guess it'd be different if schools were assigned, assigning like Kendi and Rachel D'Angelo and whatnot. That seems like it'd be worthwhile to focus on and harp on. Yeah, Trying to yeah. get Tony Morrison out of the curriculum seems, seems dumb, but like, obviously I think parents want the schools to focus on reading and math and writing and not and not this other stuff. But so what's like weird that, is that no one yeah. is accusing Tony Morrison and Beloved of being like overly woke. It's it's actually that there's some Republicans who are being snowflakes. Precisely. Yeah. That's what's so weird about it. Like their whole thing against CRT, um, critical race theory, wokeness, whatever, is that people should just toughen up and be more comfortable with offensive ideas but then they come and they say oh my god my kid can't like you know um survive through reading this book i mean it's kind of absurd but it just shows that no one's really consistent i mean right. no one no one i mean look we're not ideologically pure or co coherent either obviously we're heterodox so we're confusing but um but what is striking is how people don't even pretend to have any ideological coherence whatsoever i mean that's actually really cons so actually this came up when we were um on our little trip over the weekend amir you might recall um the first night when we were at duchess silver yes <laughs> i mean for any of you who are in that area we, we i mean we would strongly recommend going to duchess silver tree and that 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 area being uh far far western maryland yeah, this is Trump country. I saw more Trump signs than I've probably ever seen in my life in the road trip that we did back and forth. Yeah. But um, what was funny, though, is that Demir also does a really good impression of Dutch. Well, I, I'm changing my name to Dutch when I move out to <laughs> Oakland, Maryland. That's my that's my goal. Exactly. In any case. Um, OK, where was I going with this? So um, a, a we, discussion of Dutch's. I don't recall. Yeah. So there was something maybe you said it or someone else on the table said it. That, um, oh, yeah, in regards to France, how people assumed, and Ben Haddad was part of this conversation, that um, France was assumed to be the most anti-vax country in Europe and one of the more anti-vax countries in the world. And it does have a strong anti-vax mo uh, movement historically. But now, many months later, it has one of the highest rates of vaccine uptake in the world. And then someone made the point that, you know, when push comes to shove, people go against their own stated beliefs. So people who claim to be anti-vax, a lot of them sucked it up and got the vaccine. Why? Because it was in their rational self-interest to do so. Why? 
because President Macron actually imposed vaccine mandates. So it makes it very hard for you to like go get cheese and wine um, and baguettes if you don't have the and vaccine. brie. Yeah, come so, on. Yeah. <laughs> so you can basically change people's supposedly fundamental beliefs if you're like, hey, cheese, baguette, wine. Right. So like, yeah, like imperial technocracy. I mean, we, we discussed this last week. And that's does, the thing. So does anyone believe in anything that strongly? Is anyone really willing to suffer for their beliefs? So so I'm not going to answer that. But Matt, let me tell you a story about from this trip <laughs> as well, which I think is, is just interesting and maybe gets at some of this a little bit. So um, in poor taste, of course, uh, uh, Alec Baldwin's tragic shooting happened uh, over the weekend. And so we're talking about, you know, guns and um, a couple of us in the group, we decided on the way back to go to a shooting range and shoot some guns. Um, and I have to say, you know, it's just the second time I've gone shooting. I, I went shooting years ago uh, in Louisiana. Um, and, um, you know, I thought that was a kind of a profound experience for, you know, a, an effete coastal uh, raised liberal, you know, blue stater. Um, and so this time was also actually profounder in its own sort of way. I guess what what I what I get at there is like it it was it was stressful because, you know, guns are like dangerous things and, you know, this guy at the counter is like, "Oh, here's a gun. Go and shoot it." And you like you're loading bullets into it and then you're shooting them down range and you sort of this thing goes pop in your hand and you see like paper getting shredded like, you know, yards away and it's it's just like it gives you a certain respect. I think most people should shoot a gun just to get that experience just to, you know, really appreciate what a gun is. I, I, I've maintained that since my experience in Louisiana, however many years ago. Um, but what was more interesting about it, um, maybe it's contra your point, Shadi, about like deeply held beliefs was, I think there was like a, a kind of shared sense. It was like, I'd say, you know, by and large, mostly liberal people at this thing. There was like a, a cultural codedness to the gun shooting. A lot of people were like, well, I don't want to do this. Well, I want to get back to DC. Don't want to deal with it. But I'll just speak for myself. There was like something, um, I felt like I was kind of transgressing outside of my tribe by even shooting guns. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it was a really strange feeling. I was just like, I was like, I, I felt like I was almost doing something wrong or naughty in a way. And I'll say that, that like, I also, at the same time, I, I found the, the, it was, it was, it's, it's fun, you know, like you go I, if, I felt like afterwards thinking about the experience that if guns weren't so culturally coded in our discourse, I would have just said like, wow, that was really fun. Should do that some other weekends. Like get some people together and like, you know, you go to this place, there's all sorts of safety, you take the precautions and you, you just do some target shooting. Now, again, on the cultural sort of side of this thing, the place we went in, in Frederick, Maryland was called the Machine Gun Nest, <laughs> which... But but again, you know, it was a bunch of young people behind the counter. They were, you know, some had tattoos, kind of hipstery. They were like, yeah, you know, like, here's a gun. This is how you load it. Be safe. You know, don't load it until you get into your lane. Don't shoot my camera. That's $500 if you do that. Like, there's a guy there to help you if you have a jam. And the other part that was fascinating about it, in the shooting range in Frederick, Maryland, um, I dare say... Uh, our group of three, only three went shooting out of a larger group that went on the weekend. Um, I think we were the only white people there. They were like, and it really? was like, again, sort of uh, youngish people, uh, black, Latino with their girlfriends, like taking like taking photos on the phone as they were shooting downrange and stuff like that. 
So it was like it was a really weird experience in that sense about like how certain things are coded and how like I, I can't really shake that feeling of that. Like I felt like I was somehow transgressing against my tribe by doing this, even though and again, you know, guns are dangerous. So, you know, it's like it's like much more dangerous than a chainsaw, really. Like, but you don't go playing with chainsaws. You take precautions and stuff like that. But you know what I mean? I don't know. Like, I, I it was weird. It was a, it was an interesting and weird experience about sort of like the cultural codedness of things. So it's not even belief so much. Cause I don't have like strong belief about guns, even that. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I think it's a, it's a, it's a complex question. Uh, yet still, as sort of like you know, raised liberal, you know, coastal person, I found it, I found it sort of yeah. weird. I had kind of the mirror image experience this weekend, where I went to the opera, which is very <laughs> uh, <laughs> the opposite of my coded upbringing of going camping and fishing and shooting bows and arrows and, and whatnot. Yeah, so I, uh, and. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, it was it, it was kind of fun. It's probably not something we're going to do again. I did it mainly to get out of one of my professors says, if you go to the opera the day before class and then she cold calls you, you don't have to answer the cold call. So when she <laughs> oh. tried when she tried to ask me a question about Justice Rehnquist's opinion in some random case I hadn't read, I just held up my opera playbill and, and she moved on. Uh, okay, that, that's yeah, amazing. Was, that's actually something people do in that class. Yes, and actually, she is. Uh, you'll see her on TV somewhat soon. She's. As, as eventually when Ted Cruz stops blocking her nomination, she's going to be Biden's uh, legal advisor to the state department. Oh, Whoa. Very cool. so, That's cool. Yeah. If, if I think Cruz and Holly are still holding up all the state department nominations. and whatnot, They are, but, they are over Nord Stream yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she, uh, she's a big opera fan and trying to make us become opera fans. And yeah, it felt like that yeah, felt similar to if, <laughs> If the, if the people there went to a shooting range, they'd probably feel close to how I felt at the opera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this cultural codedness, I think, sort of it highlights the point that we end up sorting ourselves based on things that are completely arbitrary. We see what the other side is either approving or disapproving, and that allows us to know who we are. We only know ourselves by our opposite. And that's like that's really concerning. That it's the same thing with mass. There's why do Republicans um, hate mass? It's not because they've really thought about it. It's because Democrats love mass. Yeah. And um, I mean, well, I, Sean, right? don't you agree? Don't you also hate them? Yeah, but right? not because I'm a Republican. Not because. Yeah. Not because Democrats are lame about it. I just this is my independent position, or so I think it is. Right. <laughs> I'm sure the Republicans think that they they've come to this. Conclusion independently as well. No, I mean, I, I see people walking around the park. I, I never get so irrationally upset as when I see like a mom pushing a stroller, a kid in a stroller, and the four-year-old kid has a mask on outside. Wait, are you being serious? Dead, I've seen that multiple times. Oh my god, that is that yeah. is crazy. Luckily yeah, in DC, like, there are no children, so we can't see that. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's a school not too far from where I live, and I see the school kids cut, like walk in lines all with masks on outside, all like every day. And I don't, we, I mean, even before the vaccines, we knew outdoor transmission basically never happened. Honestly, this is, okay, don't you, I mean, dear listeners will know, like, I find this to be utter madness. This is madness. And I, we, we can't countenance this on our side of the spectrum. If we are talking about our own people as liberals, as Democrats, we should actually say something. We shouldn't let this go unheeded. It is time to step up. Yeah, I mean, you should run for office, Shadi, and then then when the <laughs> when forty eight of the other senators 
confront you and say, no, you have to back masks. You just buckle like a belt, like you said you would, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well, uh, also, I like this term buckle like a belt. I haven't heard that before. That's I a think, nice little I aphorism. Think, I think I brought it up on the podcast before. And yeah. you said you've never heard it before, before. <laughs> so not that memorable. Second time, second time. <laughs> um, but, look, but, but Matt, to go back to your point, that I, th- I think vaccines is a good example of this because Trump actually, we, one of the few things that we have Trump to thank for is that he did really prioritize a faster de- you know, uh, process for approving the vaccines. And that was Operation Warp Speed. And from what I understand, Trump in a couple of his earlier speeches would occasionally make mention of the fact that, hey, people should thank me for this. I'm the one who made it happen. But his base, which is interesting, like his base just wasn't like would just get kind of quiet in these rallies when he would say that. So he just kind of tabled it. But it's interesting that even something that Trump himself was instru- somewhat at least instrumental in fast tracking that's become so culturally coded that at least for mass, there's a, like a legitimate reason to think Democrats are being absurd. I mean, I don't know what you think, Matt, and I don't know how big of an issue this is among like, ordinary Republicans, because as far as I can tell, the majority of old Republicans have gotten the vaccine, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it's probably not as high as it should be. It's not like 70 or 80 percent or 90 percent as it is among some groups of, of Democrats, except, I guess, people uh, communities of color where vaccine uptake is lower. But, um, but it's not as if Republicans are just not getting the vaccine at all, but it is still a lower number than we might like. Yeah, I'm not around many normal Republicans anymore. The, 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 <laughs> few, that I, uh, <laughs> the few that I have encountered, I guess... I, I don't, I don't know what all their vac statuses are. Some of them already had COVID and they're not getting the vaccine for that reason because they think they have immunity. And I mean, maybe they'll get it when, when they're required to. So I, I've encountered that a decent amount. Um, some family didn't want to get it, but after a little bit of prodding, like, you know, it'd be, it would, it would reduce my stress level if you got it. They usually went out and got the vaccine. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how, I don't know where the, the mass unvaxxed people are. I guess I think Idaho is, is, is the is the worst state. Yeah, a lot in Idaho, I, know. I guess for, Idaho's the worst. Just just for <laughs> for 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 everyone's uh, uh, knowledge, I am getting my third shot tomorrow before what? I head off to Europe. Yeah. Wait, is your wait? How is that even possible? That can happen already. Yeah. Just go get it. Where? Uh, I got an appointment at Walgreens. Wait, so I can do that too? I can get, because I, I did Moderna though. Like Moderna was they've, just approved, approved a few it. days ago. Yep, yep, yep. So I can get my booster? Maybe I should wait. I, you should wait. I wouldn't get it if I wasn't traveling, but like Eastern Europe is now just exploding. Seriously, and I'm going to see my parents. Yeah, it's nuts. Why uh, is wait? Why is Eastern Europe always exploding with COVID cases? Uh, like, they they are about to surpass their last winter surge, and with like deaths and stuff like that. Uh, Eastern Europe has. 20% of the world's uh, new cases, Reuters had a story over the weekend, 20% of the world's new cases are in Eastern Europe for uh, a part of the world that is 2% of the population. So it's going nuts over there. And since I'm going to be going yeah, to an event yeah, and doing stuff sense. and then go see my parents, honestly, even then I wouldn't do it because I, I feel like, you know, uh, having the uh, the vaccine six months later, I'm still probably good. And 
you've even seen some of this stuff that like getting a weak case of COVID is actually the best protection for it. So if you're vaccinated, you get a breakthrough case that doesn't send you to the hospital, knock yeah. on wood. That's actually the best way to build up immunity. But I can't risk it with my parents while I'll spend exactly. some time with afterwards. So I'm just getting the third dose as as much as anything for my parents, like uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, peace of mind. But, um, you know, again, culturally coded, whatever. I'm doing it. Coastal wow, elites. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we I guess we should also wrap up. I mean, I don't, can we say can we say who we're having dinner with? Uh, probably that, not. Probably not. Oh, oh, okay. But I wouldn't say where we're having. I would just say the person, the famous person. But that's better not to. Oh, okay. Well, well now we're, I want to know. Yeah, we're having dinner with BHL Bernard Henri Levy uh, tonight. So we got to run to that. Yeah, the great one of the greatest French philosophers uh, of his generation. Absolutely, and a, a, a real sharp dresser. Yeah, I thought you meant Obama at first. I know that's been the long, <laughs> long-running goal. Wait, wait, how would Obama? Wait, sorry, BHO, how would Ob- Hussein? Oh, oh, oh! I told. Okay, as someone who has never, I've never heard someone say BHO because I always forget that he was like basically Muslim. Exactly. You, you just call him Hussein all the time. I know, and, and like President Hussein. President Hussein. <laughs> By the way, just so people don't get the wrong, I, I just I want to be clear. I don't think Obama is Muslim. Okay, Shadi. Wink, wink, <laughs> wink. Matt, really nice catching up with you. Yeah, I uh, hope to see you guys soon in DC at some point. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. Look us up, and we'll we'll uh, next time in person. You can sit on my couch, and and we can we can uh, chew right. the fat. Hopefully, I'll be back uh, next summer for for a job. So Excellent. we gotta wait that long. We gotta wait until next well, summer. Spring to break. See you. Spring break. Spring break. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. I'm actually I'm actually going to be passing through DC this weekend on my way to a wedding, but not enough time to. Yeah. See okay. You all. All right. But soon, eventually. All right, my friend. Onward and upward. All right. Talk all soon. Right. Thanks. Thanks okay. Bye. Bye, Matt. Bye. Bye.